Section two of Modern England by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Pamela Nagami. Book two, Wellington, eighteen twenty seven to eighteen thirty. Book two, Chapter one, Wellington, Prime Minister. The king had hoped to keep the same ministry in office and to carry on public business with as little change as possible lord godrich who was considered a moderate man was therefore made prime minister but mr harry's and the duke of wellington who were both tories were members of the government this was enough to bring about its destruction a quarrel broke out between harry's and huskisson and lord godrich not wishing to get rid of either of them preferred to resign himself the administration had scarcely lasted six months his place was taken by the duke of wellington in january eighteen twenty eight now in his sixtieth year the first subject of the crown accepted in all parts of europe as the representative of english power and english spirit but destined to impair in office the reputation he had gained in war his industry courage and integrity were beyond question but he had little sympathy with the people and was apt to base his conduct too exclusively on obedience to the authority of the crown huskisson tried to convince himself that the spirit of canning would yet continue to guide the conduct of the ministry and therefore remained in office but an opportunity soon occurred for removing him and the remnant of canning's party lord dudley lord palmerston and mr grant joined him in his retirement book two chapter two navarino the attention of europe had now for six years been directed toward the east the greeks had continued their struggle for liberty with various fortunes russia took this opportunity to attack her hereditary foe and was moving forward in her double mission of releasing her brother christians from the moslem yoke and of establishing her power upon the dardanelles england and france were afraid that russia if left to herself might forget her worthier objects in the satisfaction of her ambition and they saw that the best hope of controlling her policy lay in sharing her designs to effect these objects canning had in july eighteen twenty seven procured the signature of the treaty of london between england france and russia the powers offered their mediation to establish peace between the two countries which had been so long at war an armistice was to be concluded without delay the sultan was to retain the title of suzerain or superior lord of greece and the greeks were to pay a yearly tribute or relief also a separation of the two nations which were then intimately mixed was to be effected and the turks were to be compensated for the territory which they surrendered a secret article attached to the treaty provided that if the port or the greeks did not accept the armistice within one month the powers should do their best to force it upon them without however taking an active part in the war the turks refused to grant an armistice ibrahim pasha viceroy of egypt sailed with a large fleet to assist the sultan the combined english french and russian fleets allowed him to enter the harbour of navarino on the west coast of the morea 
on condition that he did not come out again. He broke his promise and was driven back, but took his revenge by harassing the country and burning villages. The Allies saw the smoke from burning villages rising among the hills. They realized the misery of his victims, and their patience could hold out no longer. They sailed into the narrow strait at the entrance of the harbor, with a view of forcing Ibrahim to discontinue these atrocities under penalty of the entire destruction of his fleet. A battle was not in their intention, but a random shot fired the train of angry feeling. The battle became general, and in four hours the Turkish fleet was entirely destroyed. October 1827. When the news of this victory arrived in England, Canning was dead. Wellington was not so favorable to the independence of the Greeks. The king at the opening of Parliament spoke of Navarino as an untoward event, and no effort was made to follow up the advantage gained over the Turks. The Russians took up with greater vigor the cause which they had more nearly at heart. One army crossed the Danube and the Balkans, another marched into Armenia and occupied Kars and Ezrum. The Treaty of Adrianople, August 1829, secured the existence of Greece as an independent kingdom. Book Two, Chapter Three, Catholic Emancipation. The Corporation and Test Acts, passed in the reign of Charles II, provided that no one should hold any important civil or military office without giving evidence that he was a member of the Church of England by receiving the Holy Sacrament. These acts had been specially directed, the first against the independents, the second against James II and the Roman Catholics. The burden of them now fell on the dissenters, who were, however, able to evade the prohibition enforced by them by an act of indemnity, first passed in the reign of George II and annually renewed. Lord John Russell proposed and carried in 1828 a motion that a committee should be appointed to consider the abolition of these galling and useless restrictions. Peel and Huskisson opposed the measure, as Canning had always done before, on the ground not of principle but of expediency. But they gave way to the feeling of the House, and a declaration of friendliness to the Church of England was substituted for the test. This was followed by a new agitation in Ireland for the emancipation of Catholics. By the efforts of the Catholic Association, O'Connell was elected member for Clare. His return was declared valid, although he could not sit and vote in the House, until he had taken the prescribed oaths. The Catholic Association became more and more powerful. Supported by the priests and well furnished with money, it spread itself over the whole of Ireland. It professed to secure that no member should be elected for any Irish constituency who did not pledge himself to obtain emancipation for the Catholics and parliamentary reform. It became evident to the ministers that no course was left to them but to conciliate a power which they could not quell. The King's speech, on opening the session of 1829, contained the surprising announcement that the Catholic Association would be suppressed and that a measure for the relief of the Catholics would be presented for the consideration of Parliament. Sir Robert Peel and the Duke of Wellington 
had courageously sacrificed political consistency to the good of their country a bill which abolished all political distinctions between catholics and protestants in the fullest and most generous manner passed the commons and lords and after a little hesitation received the assent of the king the association which had obtained this victory in the name of a nation disappeared quietly out of existence a great step had been made toward redressing the wrongs of ireland o'connell who had deserved the gratitude of his country was reluctant to give up the position of agitator he declared that he would never rest until he had secured the repeal of the union between england and ireland in this vain and hopeless struggle he squandered the reputation which he had fairly earned and came eventually to be regarded rather as a demagogue than as a patriot book two chapter four european revolution the discontent which existed in england was only part of a general feeling of uneasiness that overspread the continent and took the form of a reaction against the arrangements of the treaty of vienna and the repressive measures which succeeded it in these disputes the sympathies of the english people were on one side the sympathies of the duke of wellington were thought with only too good reason to be on the other in portugal don miguel brother of don pedro the new emperor of brazil had usurped the throne which belonged to his niece dona maria the daughter of don pedro he overthrew the constitution which had been defended by canning and established a government supported by the priests and the nobility and recognized by no powers but rome and spain dona maria was received with honour in england and ministers declared that they would observe the strictest neutrality but it was evident that the feelings of the government were really with the party of absolute government and our neutrality was so strictly interpreted that we attacked an expedition sent out to garrison an island which had remained faithful to the queen maria france was the scene of far more serious disturbances louis the eighteenth who had been restored to the throne after the fall of napoleon died in eighteen twenty three and was succeeded by his brother this was the count of artois whose frivolous youth had been spent among the dissipations of versailles in the years which preceded the french revolution he now as charles x governed reluctantly as a constitutional king in eighteen twenty nine prince polignac a strong royalist and a friend of wellington joined the ministry it was in a hopeless minority in the chamber of deputies as the french house of commons was called after attempting in vain to pass some important measures the chamber was dissolved the elections throughout the country were against the ministry and placed it in a worse position than before it determined to adopt a high-handed course and issued in the king's name three ordinances first to suspend the liberty of the press secondly to dissolve the newly elected chambers and thirdly to alter their constitution a revolution broke out the fury of which made three days memorable in french history the twenty seventh the twenty eighth and the twenty ninth of july eighteen thirty the king who was at st cloud abdicated and retired to england 
Louis-Philippe, son of Philippe, Duke of Orléans, who in the first French Revolution, after voting for the king's death, had himself perished by the guillotine, was first made captain-general and then king of the French. An impulse toward independence spread throughout Europe. Belgium separated itself from Holland, a country different in language, religion, and race. Poland attempted to recover its independence. It was seen how vain had been the efforts of the Treaty of Vienna to arrange the map of Europe without consulting the wishes of the people who were chiefly concerned. Just before the outbreak of the revolution in France, George the Fourth died in June 1830. He was succeeded by the Duke of Clarence under the name of William the Fourth, a popular sailor, deficient in regal qualities, but who was understood to sympathize with the people. Parliament was dissolved, as is usual, after the death of a sovereign. The new elections were most unfavorable to ministers. Broom, a strong advocate for reform and education, the favorite of the populace, was returned for Yorkshire without expense. The King's speech announced a defiant attitude. It regarded with coldness the struggles on the continent, which roused so much sympathy in England. It breathed a determination to repress and crush all agitation throughout the country. This was followed shortly afterwards by a statement of the Duke of Wellington that he considered the reform of the representation entirely unnecessary and that he should always resist it. His unpopularity became so great that the king's visit to the city was postponed lest public violence should be offered to the minister. At last the government was defeated and resigned in November 1830. End of section 2